Welcome to Grace Family Church. We are so glad you decided to check out our podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching from Pastor Tommy will encourage your faith and lead you towards the greatness God has planned for you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy this message. I want to continue the series uh, called Killing Faith Killers. I want to talk to you about a few more today uh, before we just uh, spend a few more minutes before we close worshiping God. But we're really talking about in this series... Uh, the things that can impact our faith and limit us from walking in the fullness of all the blessings and promises God has for us. And so Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 15, is the verse we're using to, um, to sort of launch the series or as a foundational text. So let's read that, and then I just encourage you to pray together and believe God with me for what He has for us today. Amen. Let's be attentive to God's Word because it is the foundation for our life. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15 says, Catch us the foxes the little foxes that spoil the vines for our vines have tender grapes let's pray father thank you so much that you love us that you care about us and and thank you for those who've made it out this morning and i pray for those who couldn't make it for various reasons this morning that you just bless them and uh, this morning and that as they have the opportunity to avail themselves to the message this week online that you'd minister to them just as if they were sitting here and I just give you praise and thanks, Father, that as we minister this morning, your anointing's resting upon me to deliver your word to your people. It's resting upon your people, that they're attentive and that revelation is received. And we'll give you praise and thanks for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, we've pointed out two things in our opening text here every week, and I'll point it out again. Is the first phrase, it says, our vines, it says on that verse that our vines have grapes. And what that, what that tells us is that, that the vines are already there to, you know, if, if a vine has a grape on it, it's already there to be eaten, correct? And so what we've really done is looked at Scripture to show us that, you know, the promises of God that God has granted to us, they are already uh, available for you to possess them. Too, too often and far too often, many times people look at the promise of God, their healing, their prosperity, their provision, or whatever it may be, and they look at it from the perspective of, I need to get God to give me this. But the reality is, is that God has already relinquished that promise to you through his word. He's, he's as good as his word, and he says, it's yours. You can have it. And so we don't have to expect or ask God to give it to us. We just need to receive what he's already granted. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, because of the sacrifice, this is the message Bible. It says, because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we are free people. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm free. Now, I'll tell you, that's an important statement for you to embrace because you may not feel like you're free in certain areas. You may feel like you're under it right now instead of on top of it. But what the scripture says is we are free people, free of penalties and punishment, chalked up by all the misdeeds, and not just barely free either. Here it is, abundantly free. He thought of everything provided for everything we could possibly need. So what that verse says is that he has already provided for us what we need. It's already been given to us. We're already free. That's past tense, and we need to stand on that. And so what I've, the reason I stress that is because I think it's important for us to remember that God is not withholding your blessing this morning. You don't need to convince him to give you your blessing this morning. It's already out of his hand, and all you have to do is receive it. Amen? Now that, and, and it's important for us to recognize that because then the question is, well, if, if, I don't, if he's already relinquished it, then why haven't I seen it? And what we've pointed out is in this, in this series is that there are little things that can rob us from receiving what God has already so graciously given. 
Matthew chapter 17 and verse 19 and 20 tells us that. It says, And the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? You ever been there before? Why am I not receiving this promise? Why isn't this blessing coming through? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. How many realize that probably was a little hard for them to hear? I mean, we're following you. We're walking after you. We gave up our lives. But he's saying you don't have it because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And so what we see there is that the reason many times that we don't receive, and I would say most, all the time, it's always uh, uh, something that's affecting this area of our life. The reason we don't receive is because our faith is weak, our faith is faltering, we have no faith, or our faith is under attack. I mean, you know, sometimes you can be standing completely in faith, and we're going to see that later on in this series, and it can just be an attack of the enemy trying to rob you. And it don't mean there's anything wrong with you, but the truth of the matter is, is as we look into this, there are a variety of reasons for which our faith can waver like these disciples did, where our faith may not make a connection to receive what God has for us. And so Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. And so it's these little things that can rob us of the grapes that are already on the vine for us, of the promises that God's already granted us. And so we call those, I call those things faith killers. And that's what this whole series is about. It's about talking about the faith killers and understanding how to eliminate them or minimize them in our life so we can walk in more of what God has promised us. Why? So we can be fat and happy and just enjoy life? Well, that's part of it. He said he'd make his people fat, right? And some of us really exemplify that truth. But, but the reality is, is we want to be blessed like that because God desires for us to be a blessing to others. You know, some people say, well, I got what I need and I don't need any more, so that's fine. Well, that's great, but what about the guy next to you that could use your help? That's a pretty selfish way to live, right? So we want to be blessed. We want to be blessed with all that God says we can have, not so we can be selfish and greedy, but so that we can be a tra channel through which it just pours out to others. I got to tell you, I'd love, I would love for our church to have so much money that when somebody called us and said, I can't pay my electric bill, it'd be, I could say, well, let's do a little evaluation, and if you're not out there just, you know, <laughs> being stupid, then I'll just pay your bill for it. How many of you realize God wanna, would, would love for us to be in that spot to help people? Amen. He would. Well, why don't we do it? Because I can tell you right now, we got to make budget and we don't have that money to give right now. And same thing in our own lives. So God wants us to be blessed uh, so that we can receive. And so he wants us to eliminate these, these, uh, these little foxes or these faith killers, I call them. And we've talked about several others in the past. You can go back and read, uh, look up the series online and you can listen to those. But today I want to talk to you about three more faith killers. The first one I want to talk to you about is doubt. Everybody say doubt. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22 through 31, larger portion of scripture. How many of you know it's okay to re read nine verses consecutively in church on Sunday morning? You know, there's some churches that won't do that because they're like, well, we'll lose people's attention. But I, I got to tell you, how do you realize we, it's not about entertaining you, it's about getting the word of God to you, right? That's, that's, so I'm going to do the best I can to entertain you, but I'm not going to be tap dancing and turning cartwheels up here. I'm going to do my best just to give you the word, amen, and trust the Holy Spirit to help you. And so Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. <laughs> well, that's funny. He <laughs> constrained them. Did he have to wrestle them to get in? I don't know, but 
That just stood out to me. Constrain his disciples to get into the ship and, go, and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. That's a miracle. And when he saw, speaking of Peter, and when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said to him, I want you to notice what he said, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Jesus said that the reason he didn't continue walking on the water was because of doubt. And so it would behoove us to understand what is doubt, right? In this story, doubt, if we read it in con and we just take a look at it from a surface level, doubt really, uh, in Peter's situation, was, it involved him looking at the negative circumstances that surrounded his situation and choosing to focus and allow those negative circumstances to affect his belief. What belief? The belief that initially said, if Jesus said, come, then I can step out on this water and walk on it which actually resulted in him actually walking on it for a few steps, I don't know how many, but he walked for a little bit. And then he sunk, why? Because doubt crept in. And so doubt sets in when we begin to embrace the potential of a negative outcome. When we begin to embrace the potential of a, ne a negative outcome, it is the opposite of hope. So doubt and hope are contrary to each other. Hope, what is hope then? Because hope would be part of the cure for doubt. Hope is this, it's the earnest expectation that the promise of God could possibly happen. Everybody say it could possibly happen. See, hope, simply put, embraces the glimmering thought and the ever-growing expectation that it could happen. That there's a very real possibility. Hope says, you know, this could take place. That's what hope says. Doubt, on the other hand, is the earnest expectation that it probably is not going to happen. Doubt is the thing that looks around and says, well, you know, I doubt it. Doubts, uh, you know, doubts identifying words are probably not. I doubt it could take place. We see that in the scripture. Romans chapter 4 and verse 16, a person that chooses to hope or, or resist doubt is a person that believes or has the expectation that this could possibly happen. Matter of fact, as we move through this, you're going to see that you have to have hope many times before you can ever have faith. You have to believe it's at least a possibility first. Romans chapter 4 verse 16 and 18 says, Abraham, who is the father of us all, against hope. Well, against hope, why, what does that mean? Well, we all know God promised the story. God promised Abraham that he would have a child in his old age. How many realize when you're 90 years old and you're told you're going to have a child, everything else says, well, I don't know about that, right? That's doubt, right? But what it says here, so against doubt, so against hope, he believed in hope. 
What does that mean, he believed in hope? I've always thought that phrase was an interesting phrase. He believed in hope. He didn't believe in, in this situation. Now, he did believe in God, as we read through about Abraham. But in this particular account, this particular word, it says he believed in hope. Didn't believe in Jesus. Didn't believe in the word. He believed in hope. So what does that mean? It says, what, 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 what was the hope he believed in? That he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken so shall thy seed be so there was a moment in time where God spoke to Abraham and said this is what you can have but Abraham's everything around him said no this don't look possible but something in him said you know what in spite of it looking possible I'm going to embrace the glimmer of expectation that this could possibly happen that's what hope is and it's the opposite of doubt See, here's the question I would ask you this morning. Are there promises or dreams about your life for which you need to cast off doubt and embrace hope again? Embrace the thought that it could possibly happen. Not that it's going to happen. I'm not talking about faith yet. Not that it's going to happen. Not that I do have it by faith. But can you just believe that it could possibly happen? Do you, can you just believe it's a possibility with God? See, there are far too many hopeless people in life because they doubt the positive could happen. They live with a mindset of, I doubt it. I really doubt it. Yeah, it's really great, but, you know, I don't know. In my case, I doubt it. They're par and, and many times, they're even parroting the actions of faith. They're saying they believe God. They're talking to God about it. They may even be speaking the word about it. But deep down in their heart, there's just this, nah, I doubt it. It ain't going to happen. And it's an empty faith. It's a no faith situation, actually. And so what we need to find out is, is that, and what we need to understand this morning is, is that doubt is a thief of our hopes and expectations. We need to make a choice today to choose to resist the I doubt it thoughts in our mind when it relates to the promises of God. The only time you should doubt is when you doubt your doubts. And I've heard somebody say that before. That's the only time you should embrace doubt is in doubting your doubts. Instead of doubting that it could happen, start doubting that it couldn't happen. Right? When you think about, oh, well, I doubt it. No, just say, when you think about, no, nah, that's probably not going to happen. Say, no, I doubt that. I choose to doubt my doubts. Doubt that the negative outcome will occur. Start believing that it's a highly improbable that the negative will take place. That's the foundation and beginning of faith that it's actually possible to happen and that the negative is it's, it's it's most likely that it won't happen see a lot of people live in the most likely that now nah, I'm not gonna get it right but we need to live by hope and expectation make a choice to start believing that God's promise about your future are actual possibilities here's the thing I would ask you this morning what have you really written off in your heart you know, there are things over the years that I've stood for in faith and believed for, but at some point, standing and believing, deep down in the recesses of my heart, the expectation of it began to be, nah, I don't know about that, but I'm going to keep on just paired in faith. I would encourage you this morning that if you want to live by the promises and blessings of God, you have to first embrace the reality that this could happen to me. Look at your neighbor and say, it could happen. Start with the expectation, my breakthrough could happen this morning. <laughs> my healing could happen today. My unexpected income could show up. That person could change. That miracle could occur. Why? Because with God, there is nothing that is impossible. There is nothing too difficult for God. 
Begin to dream about the positive outcome again. Begin to see it. Begin to meditate on it. See, hope is the product of spending time meditating on what could be. Dwelling before God on that promise that He says you can have. Thinking about it. Put it practically. Hope is that lump of excitement that wells up in your throat when you think about, boy, that would be really cool if that happened. You know, one of the best ways I can liken this to is, you know, you ever watch when the uh, society goes nut, w- nuts when the lottery tickets go up to billions and billions of dollars, right? I mean, you know, it's a billion-dollar lottery ticket. Everybody goes out to get a lottery ticket. How many of you realize your odds are worse when it's higher than it is when it's lower? But anyway, that's another, it's a whole other thing. But you ever notice when people start talking about, man, I won that. All of a sudden, this, this hope, this, this expectation, this excitement rises in their heart when they talk about it. We should have that kind of hope and expectation about the promises of God. When we think about healing, we should meditate on it. Think about it. Man, when I'm healed, I'm going to do this. I'm going to let that expectation rise on the inside of you. Let hope rise on the inside of you. Don't let doubt rob you of that. You ever caught yourself dreaming about your future and what a promise God says you can have, and all of a sudden thought comes, well, i got to get back to reality. You ever been there? Or am I the only one? Well, you know, that's, that's a dream. That's right, it's a dream. It's a promise. Don't let doubt, that's doubt trying to rob you of your expectation. Take time and let that expectation grow on the inside of you. Dream about it. Choose to resist doubt. Choose to, allow the, to not allow the circumstances around you to have you focus on them so much that you begin to believe that it, this, this can't happen. Can I be honest with you guys? Over the years, at times, different times in the history of this church, I've looked at a $500,000 building fund campaign when there have been months where we struggled to make a $19,000 budget, just cover costs. You know, there's a part of me that wants to say, there are times where hope has tried to be robbed from me where, you know, we'll never get there, we'll never finish that building. But you know when that happens, what I need to do? I I rise up in my heart. I sometimes go walk around in that building and walk through it and begin to see the building, begin to see what it could be, begin to rejoice about the expectation of what God has promised. Why? Because it could happen. It is possible with God. See, we can't allow doubt to rob us of our faith and diminish our faith. Jesus said, wherefore did you doubt, O you of little faith? We must choose when circumstances try to rob us of our expectation to embrace hope again and dwell on it and meditate on it and get excited about it that, Lord, this is actually possible. Look at your neighbor and just say, it could happen. It could. Why? Because with God, nothing is impossible. Now, that's the, that's the hope aspect of it. What's the next faith killer? The next faith killer I want to talk to you about today is fear because fear has something to do with this as well. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35 says, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitudes, they took him along in, into the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose and waves beat in the boat so that it was already filling. So this is a different account, right? Jesus is already in the boat. This is when he come walking. And he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. 
Well, that says a lot about faith, right? I mean, they're all panicking and water sloshing into the boat, and Jesus is just sleeping. Just sleeping. He was asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Everybody say, no faith. In this account, fear was the nullifier of their faith. Doubt minimizes faith, but fear could bring you to a place of no faith. So embracing doubt can diminish your faith, but fear can completely nullify it. So how are doubt and fear different? As we've said, doubt is embracing the consideration that the promise might not happen. It's embracing more than you embrace the possibility of it will, uh, that it will. It's that diminishing feeling on the inside of you that this ain't going to happen. That's doubt. But fear is brace in embracing the actual thought that it won't. Fear says... God, the promise God has given me will not happen. Whatever that promise is, that's fear. Fear considers circumstances more than God's promise to the end that you truly believe the negative outcome will happen. So much so that it affects your attitude, your mentality, it paralyzes you. It depresses you. It brings you down. That's the situation we see that effect it had on the disciples. I mean, they're in the boat, they're panicked, they're worried. Why? Because they don't believe the pro Jesus said, let's go to the other side. They didn't believe that he'd honor his word. They were fearful, they were afraid. So what's the cure for fear? What's the cure for doubt all grown up? Because that's really what doubt is. Doubt is, is it, it, uh, that's what fear is. Fear is doubt all grown up. It's where you think it couldn't happen, it couldn't happen, it couldn't happen until you believe that ain't going to happen. I don't believe this is going to take place. That's fear. So what's the cure for fear? Some would say faith is the cure for fear. You know, although faith is the opposite of fear, we're going to find out a little bit more about that in a moment. Faith is not the cure for fear. It does, it, it'll, it'll, it, it, you, can, you can have faith and still have fear knocking on the door in your life. And the reason, I, the reason I say that is because if, if you have the opportunity to be afraid of something, you need to recognize that just because fear is present doesn't mean you can't have faith. But faith is not the cure for fear. It'll help you combat it. Some might even say God's word is the cure for our fear. Why, why would they say that? Well, because faith comes by hearing the word and faith causes us to be able to stand on the word. But it's not just hearing the word, it's hearing something specific from the word about your situation. Others might even say that belief in the power of God is how we solve our fears. Embracing that God is big and that he's huge and that he's great and that he's mighty. But I know a lot of people that believe that God is almighty, but they're afraid of their circumstance. See, it's not the power of God. It's not faith. It's not the word of God. There is a completely different cure that the word of God says is the cure for our fear. And we find it in what the disciples said in this verse. They said to Jesus, don't you care? 
The circumstances were screaming at them, water lapping in the boat, Jesus asleep, and they wake him up because they can't see him moving, and they say to him, don't you care? They point the finger of accusation at Jesus and say, you don't care about us. See, what lies at the heart of fear is really simply this. At the very core, if you want to take an axe to the root of it, what lies at the core of fear is a belief that God doesn't care enough about your situation to change it. He doesn't care enough about honoring His Word to you to deliver you from it or to protect you from it. See, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18 tells us that love, knowing He cares for us, is the cure for fear. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So how do you run fear off? It's not, I mean, it is faith, but it's faith in something specific. Because fear involves torment. That word torment is an interesting word. First of all, that word involve means to embrace. Fear embraces something. What does it embrace? It embraces torment. Now, some people would say it's the torment from the circumstances, but that's not really what fear embraces. That word torment means judgmental punishment, if you look it up. Fear embraces the fact that I deserve to be punished rather than be delivered. That's where real fear sets in. Where you believe God would withhold honoring his word to you because you believe you don't deserve it. Because you believe he doesn't love you enough. Because of your mistakes, your failures, your boogaboos, your, all your little things. That he doesn't love you enough to intervene and change your situation. But when we resolve our, 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 our torment with the truth of God's word, it solves that. Because how many of you realize the word, God, impu- God punishing us, the word completely eradicates that thought that we don't deserve his love. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, and God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That says, when we were the worst of the worst, in our, or the worst we could have been, when we were in our worst state, God still came after us with his love. But fear embraces the fact that at some point he stops coming after me because he loves me. See, that's what he did when he saved us. But notice the next verse, verse 9 and 10 says, So we now have been justified by his blood. Thank God for that. Amen? Because of the blood of Jesus, we've been made right with God. We've been justified. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. Now I want you to understand that. What that verse says is, if he saved us by his blood, how much more will we be protected now that we're believers from him punishing us for our wrongdoing? Amen. And yet there's a lot of people that believe God's going around punishing people. I'm going through this because God's punishing me. He ain't punishing you. You're believing a lie. You've embraced fear that God doesn't love you enough to help you. 
For while we were enemies, notice verse 10, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? See, love lets us know he loves me so much that if he saved me when I was a sinner, he's certainly going to help me now that I'm his child. I don't need to be afraid. He is going to deliver me. I can have faith instead of fear that he is going to show up. It may not look like it. I may not see him. It may feel like he's sleeping in the hinder part of the boat. But he, because of his love for me, does care for me, and he will deliver me. That's good preaching. I just preached myself happy. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11 says, if you, if Jesus said these words, if you, imperfect as you are, how many of you realize we meet that statement? Now, how many of us, by the blood of Jesus, we're right. But how many realize you ain't perfect? You still make mistakes. If you, imperfect as you are, know how to give loving things to care for your children and give them what's best, how much more ready is your heavenly Father to give wonderful gifts to those who ask him? God loves you this morning, and his love will not allow him to hold back his promise from you. The only thing that's inhibiting that is your ability to believe in his love. His love moves him to give. I want to read to you four verse, three verses of Scripture. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. It says, when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Mark chapter 1 and verse 40, now a leper came to him imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. See, that's the problem with most believers' belief. They know he can, they're not sure he will. They don't know he loves them that much. They don't know that he would say, man, why would I withhold anything from you? I love you. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. Mark chapter 6 and verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. You say, well, I'm just too dumb. I don't get it. I, I, that's why I'm not getting this. He's moved to help your ignorance if you just let him. Amen? That word move is a really interesting word. It means deeply move to take action because of great tender affection. Deeply move to take action because of great tender affection. His love moves him to move in our lives if we'll just believe it and receive it. When fear comes knocking and all hope seems to be lost, choose to resist fear and have faith that his great love is causing him to move behind the scenes, even if I can't see it, to bring about a change. Amen? The story of Jairus' daughter sets this story, uh, helps us understand this. If you don't know who Jairus is, in the, in the scriptures, uh, there was a man who had a daughter that was probably 12, 13 years old, and she had a fever, and she was about, on the death's bed, really. And, and Jairus came to Jesus and said, can you come pray for my daughter? And so, and so Jesus said, sure. How many of you realize his answer is always sure? There's never anywhere in the scriptures where he said no to anybody who came asking. 
He said, sure, I'll come pray. So he's beginning to make a journey to come pray. And on the way to come make a journey to come pray, this woman with an issue of blood that we've heard about many times for many years couldn't get healed. She crept up behind him into the press and touched his garment. And in touching his garment, he was healed. I mean, she was healed. Little interruption on Jairus' journey. But he saw, hey, Jesus got power to heal. And then, so then after the interruption, they continue journeying toward Jairus' house. And just before they get there, everybody comes out moaning and groaning and belly aching and saying, Jairus, your daughter's dead. You're too late. Have me realize cause for fear. Cause for fear. And we pick up the story here. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house to Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him. Told who? Told Jairus. I wonder if he whispered it to him. Probably not because the person writing this heard it. He said it boldly. He said, don't be Afraid, only believe. Only believe. All hope had been lost. Jesus had never, think about it for a minute. Jesus had never raised anybody from the dead at this point. Healed a lot of people, but Jairus could be, well, he healed a bunch of people, but she's dead. Game over. He'd never raised the dead before, but Jairus made a choice to believe something, to believe that Jesus and God loved him so much that he would walk into that situation and turn it around. Mark chapter 5 and verse 41 says, And, and, and Jesus took her by the hand and said to her, Talatha kahum, or however you say it, kahum, or however you say it, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately this dead girl stood up and began to walk around see for us we must understand that no matter how difficult or how hard the circumstances are no matter how challenging or devastated we are that God loves us enough to enter in and help us in our situations and it's because of his love and if we understand the greatness of that love it will drive out fear in our lives Psalm 145 verse 8 and 9 says the Lord is kind and tender-hearted to those who don't deserve it and very patient with people who fail him. His love is like a flooding river overflowing its banks with kindness. Everyone sees your goodness for his tender love is blended into everything he does. He has compassion on all he has made. Notice he has compassion on all he has made. Just so you know this morning, his compassion, whether you sense it or not, is on you right now. You just have to receive it. As the musicians come, I want to talk to you about this one last faith killer that sort of plays into this story of Jairus' daughter. I want you to think about this for a minute. The last faith killer I want to talk to you about is worry. Everybody say worry. So we talked about doubt. We talked about fear. I want to talk about worry. What is worry? Think about where Jairus was at. Daughter now dead. People saying it's too late, don't bug him anymore. And Jesus said to Jairus, actually if you read through the story, he said, oh, y'all shut up. You disciples come in here with me, and Jairus, you come with me. Jairus could have said, how's he going to fix this now? 
What's he going to do? What do I need to do? What I, what, he could have started worrying. But he chose, this is so important, he chose to place the situation in Jesus' capable hands. Doubt entertains the thought that it might not happen. Fear embraces the belief that it won't happen. But doubt worries and muddles and schemes around how is it going to happen. It holds on to the problem instead of letting go and saying, I ain't got to worry about that. That's God's concern. That's not my concern. He, I'm just, I'm just going to trust him because he promised it. Jairus could have clung on to Jesus and asked all sorts of questions about what are we going to do now, but he chose to just let Jesus handle the problem. Look at your name and say, just let him handle it. See, the opposite of worry is trust. The opposite of fear is faith. The opposite of doubt is hope. But the opposite of, of worry is trust. And when it comes to believing God, we must make a choice when worry tries to creep in and we try to grab the problem and figure out how it's going to happen, wonder what's going on, wonder how it's going to get worked out. When that happens, like a little vicious lap dog that's deceptive sitting on our lap. See, because that's what we do. We pet it. We embrace it like it's a cute little pet. We need to make the choice to 100% let that thing go and say, God, this is in your hands. I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to fret over it. Because if you do worry about it and you do fret over it, worry will rob you of your promise. We need to learn to let it go and 100% give it to God. Not with an attitude of, well, whatever will be, will be. No, with an attitude that says, no, you promised this, so this is my expectation but I'm trusting you for it, and I'm moving on to other things because it ain't my problem no more. Psalm 55 verse 22 says, Cast your cares on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. That is a promise from the God of the universe. Cast your care on me, He says, and I will sustain you. But the requirement is to cast. Far too many people pray and then hold on. I'm just a praying and believing. I'm just holding on. Now there's a truth to enduring. We'll talk about that one later. But we need to learn to pray and let go. We need to learn to pray and let go of situations. We need to learn and pray and let go of the things that we care about the most. Why? Because He can take care of it better than we can. That word cast means to throw away. How many of y'all are Seinfeld fans? A couple of you. How many remember the episode of George throwing the um, donut in the trash at a party? and then going back and seeing it sitting on the top of the trash can and pulling it out and eating it. We got a lot of trash eaters in the kingdom of God. We're praying and casting, but then we're going back and picking it up. That word cast means to throw it away as if you were throwing it in the garbage once and for all, let it go, be done with it. See, that worry and care, sometimes we think that's a, that, you know, when we worry about it, we think that's a sign that we care. 
And although we may care about the situation or the person, worry is not a symbol that you care. Worry is a symbol that you don't trust God. Worry is a symbol that says, I can't believe that you can handle this better than me, so I'm going to hang on to it. I'm going to worry about it. I'm going to fret over it. I'm going to wonder, how are you going to work this situation out, Jesus? Oh, well, maybe, maybe you ain't going to worry out, so I'm going to figure out how to work this out. Because see, that's the situation many people wind up in. They wind up asking God to bless their work instead of following God and letting Him bless their work. You know what I mean? Well, I'll go do this, Lord, bless it. Instead of saying, I'm going to pursue you, I'm going to trust you to bless that. Big difference. That's how you create problems for yourself when you take it into your hands and try to do it your own way. It says, cast your care on the Lord. And it says, and I will not allow. Notice what it says there. The righteous, I, I will never let the righteous be shaken. That word shaken means to slip, to fail, to falter, or to fall. When you, you say, well, I've fallen before. I didn't even honor that. Well, you must not have casted. You might have slipped in faith. You might have had a faith failure. But I can promise you this. It wasn't his problem. We've always said that, right? One of the situations that allow us to not slip, falter, and fall is to let it go. Let it go. Look at your neighbor and say, just let it go. Just look at your neighbor and say, I don't care about it anymore. That's a hard one maybe for you to say. I don't care about it anymore. Not in a nonchalant, flippant-like type of way, but in a way that says, I, it is not my concern any longer. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6 says, Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Set aside self-righteous pride. Choose to believe. Choose to be humble enough to believe He can handle this better than me. You know, I have the great privilege of growing up with a dad that was a, was a, a go-getter, a hustler. If you knew my dad before he passed, I mean, he'd set his mind to something, he'd get it done. And I have the great privilege of, of a dad that was like that. And there are situations in life where God will say, go do this. And at that point, you go do it with all your might and get it done. But because I grew up under that mentality, me personally, I ain't talking about you. I'm talking about me personally. There are many situations that I give to God and take back, try to figure it out. Give to God, take back, try to figure it out, try to work it out, try to solve it. When what God says is if you'll give it to me and you'll just do what's in front of you to do, you'll just love me. We talked about this before. you just love me, honor me, worship me, and obey me. I'll take care of the rest. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 10. I know I've gone a little long this morning, but hang with me. It says, now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all His commands, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you on high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings, notice this, shall come upon you and overtake you. They'll overtake you. See, what winds up happening many times is we're chasing the blessing. We're chasing the blessing. We're trying to get the blessing. We're reaching out for the blessing. But he says, if you'll just be obedient, you'll just stay in my presence, you'll just worship me, you'll just follow me, I will make sure that you don't have to chase the blessing. It will overtake you. But oftentimes it doesn't overtake us because we're too busy scheming and conniving and figuring out how we can get it, worrying about it. Too many people are chasing the blessing or the resolution of their problem when, when God says, just give it to me, just give it to me. When are you going to humble yourself and get tired enough to say, it's yours, I'm done with it? Lay down, lay it down and throw it away. 
and know that he's got it. Just a couple more verses. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Verse 7, casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, and all your concerns once and for all on him. Why? For he cares about you with the deepest affection and watches over you carefully. He says, give it all to him knowing that he cares and he will deliver. Psalm 37 verse 5 says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Resist the urge to worry. Resist the urge to doubt. Resist the urge to have fear and have faith and confidence in how much he loves you this morning. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Grace Family Church podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this message. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, we would love for you to get connected. Just go to gfcva.info to learn more about who we are, how to give to this ministry, or how you can get involved. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.